Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, I don't know if you are familiar with a word association game. You know the one where one person says a word and then someone else has to say the first thing that pops into their mind when they hear that word. So we're a bit smaller. We can be a bit interactive this morning, right? So if I were to say uh, star, you might say, all right, great. If I were to say joy, you might say, if I were to say swans, you might say, oh. <laughs> I wasn't sure whether to go there. I thought, oh, might, there might be a riot. <laughs> It dawned on me that uh, word association kind of works with people as well as um, as well as things like swans or joy or star. And there are people in my life that I associate with certain things because they're really crazy about them. So I've got a friend who loves horses. Her whole life revolves around horses. And when I think of her, I think of horses. Uh, another friend of mine loves cars. Cars are his world. Uh, and when I think of him, I think of really fast cars. Um, there are other people who, when I think of them, I think of the church that they're part of. Uh, and there are very few people in my life, uh, a handful of people, who, when I think of them, I think of Jesus. And it dawned on me this week that that's what I want so desperately from my own life, that when people think of me, when people look at me, they think of Jesus. That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for, for all of us, that when people look at us individually and as a church, people just think of Jesus. Um, imagine living like that. And I, the, the good thing is that when we look at Jesus, as he reflects to us in this passage, when he prays to God, we see somebody whose life reflects God, his Father. And in the same way that Jesus, when we look at Jesus, we think of the Father, um, I would love for when people look at us, people think of Jesus, that we would live lives that point people to Jesus in the same way that he lived a life that pointed people to his Father in heaven. It kind of shows us this new way to be human, uh, where the way that we live our lives points uh, point beyond ourselves uh, to our God, uh, to Jesus. And the passage that Loretta so beautifully read for us shows us that Jesus' life pointed to God, pointed beyond himself to God. We've been learning um, over the last month or so about six habits of Jesus that power life. This is number five today. Uh, the first one was that Jesus was so dependent on the Holy Spirit to carry out the life and ministry that God had given to him. He didn't dip into his divinity to live out his humanity. He was fully dependent on the Holy Spirit for the way that he lived his life life. Um, he was so prayerful. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. People character would have characterized him as being prayerful. Uh, we also looked at how he was. Jesus was so obedient. This was a habit that he built into the engine room of his life. He was obedient to God. He didn't try to strain away and go his own way. He was content to, be sub, to live in submission to the Father and keep in step uh, with God rather than straining to go his own way. And last week, we looked at how he worked out the word of God. He lived his life um, under the authority of God's, of God's word. And today, uh, habit number five of Jesus, uh, elevate, which sounds a bit cryptic, basically means worship, that he elevated God. He always pointed to God in everything that he did. He exalted the Father. He drew people's gaze to the Father in everything that he did, in every activity, in every encounter. 
Now, when you look at the life of Jesus, this guy was really interruptible. As you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in the Bible, you see stories of Jesus walking down the road with his disciples and uh, people would come up to him and ask for healing for themselves or for a family member. And he was happy to be interrupted or he would see something and be moved by compassion and engage, engage there. He was interruptible. Uh, he wasn't concerned about his own reputation. You know, he hung out with people of disrepute and wasn't concerned that that tarnished his reputation with the religious leaders of the day. He wasn't concerned about his own reputation. Uh, He was happy to serve other people to the point of dying for other people, dying for us. Um, And he lived with this amazing freedom and peace and steadiness. He didn't need to prove himself. He wasn't worried. He wasn't frenetic. He wasn't conflicted. He He didn't compare or compete with other people. And I want us to ask ourselves this morning, why? And I think that a big part of it is that he had a lifestyle of exalting God in every activity and at every opportunity, worshipping God by giving glory to God and giving thanks to God, living a perfect life of worship to his Father. Uh, Do you see the connection between the way that Jesus lived his life, exalting the Father, and the kind of person that he was, living in freedom and peace and steadiness? It's because his concern wasn't for himself. He wasn't the centre of his own life. And so he wasn't concerned about having to prove himself or compete with other people. He wasn't concerned about how he measured up because he wasn't the centre of his world. He knew that he had a purpose that was bigger than himself. His concern was to only and always point people to his Father in heaven. And as a result, he experienced the most wonderful peace and liberation from so much of what we experience today. Worry, frenetic living, comparison, competition, fear. And as a result of his life that pointed people to God, people saw God and came to worship him. Can you imagine if that was the case for each of us and for our church? Can you imagine what might be the people's lives that might be transformed, the freedom that people would find from anxiety and fear and competition and trying to prove ourselves? If this is the fruit of a life of worship, this kind of living that Jesus had, I want us to ask this morning how he developed that. So we're going to kind of zoom down beneath the surface of this fruit of the life of worship uh, that Jesus lived to see what kind of what the mechanics of it were uh, beneath the surface to examine the roots. How did he develop this habit uh, of elevating God, exalting God in every activity um, and every encounter? The first thing that we see is that Jesus' life was focused on God. His life was completely aligned with the heart and purposes of God. As he lived, everything that he did was to bring glory and honour and praise to his Father. His life wasn't just lip service to God saying, oh yeah, God, um, I exalt you, I praise you, but then going off and doing something else. He knew that words that are not backed up by actions does not please his Father. His whole life was lived in praise of God. As Loretta said, John uh, chapter 17 is Jesus' prayer to his Father. It's at the end of his life. It's sometimes called uh, the farewell prayer um, or the, the high priestly prayer. It kind of, and, and in this passage that we see, Jesus kind of summarises the posture of his whole life up until this point, uh, which reveals to us his utter God focus in his life. Verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Verse 7, now they know that everything you've given me comes from you. Verse 8, they knew with certainty that I came from you. Verse 9, I am praying for those you have given me. 
for they are yours. He always points beyond himself to his father to reveal and illuminate his father as the source of all things, not keeping any glory for himself, but always passing it on through to his father. He recognises that anything that is done, um, that he does that is good, that has been um, that is his father doing through him and he gives glory where glory is due because he recognises his father as the source of all things. Uh, I kind of think of it like, you know, those social experiments where there's somebody standing on a street corner and they get them to look up at the sky even though there's nothing up there. And then what happens is that people inevitably will come along and sort of look up at the sky and then more people, the more people that are there, the more people will come and look up at the sky even though there's nothing there. I kind of think of it like that. The posture of Jesus's life is postured towards looking up at the sky. And what happens as a result is that other people come along and look up at the sky as well. He points people to the Father through the posture of his life by always facing towards the Father, being so focused with his whole life on the Father. The Godward posture and focus of Jesus' life draws other people's gaze to God. What would it look like for us to live like that? It would look like living in obedience uh, to God's word, as we've looked at over the last couple of weeks. It would look like always giving thanks to God, passing the glory through to God, um, recognising that he is the giver of all good things. How do we do that? I think we do it by looking through something to see God in and through and behind it. If you're leading a meeting that goes really well, saying, God, thank you for helping me to lead that meeting well. Uh, different situations in life, you can just look through, you're having a hard conversation with someone. God, thank you for that. Looking beyond just the physical, what you can see to God in and through and behind it, having that lens. Um, and of course, we're human. We resist, don't we? We like the glory. We like it when people stroke our ego. We like it when people congratulate us for a job well done. We don't want to let that pass that on through to God and give that glory back to God, the glory where glory is due. Um, so we so often hold on to it. And I think that a part of the reason that we do that uh, is that our culture, our society tells us that if we don't look out for number one, nobody else is going to. Your life has to revolve around yourself because uh, if it doesn't, then who's going to look after you? People are going to come in from the sides and attack you. You might lose your job or your home or whatever. So if you're not going to focus your life in on yourself, then who else is going to look after you? And it's very easy to get distracted by this, the world's wisdom and build our lives and shape our lives around that. But actually what happens when we do that, when we exchange a life that is focused on God for a life that is focused on ourselves, it's kind of like we think we're getting the better end of the deal, but actually it kind of leads us to ruin. You know, a life that is focused on God is a life that is full of life. He's our life source. It's like a, a rose that's in full bloom. But as soon as we, we switch direction and choose to be inward and, and switch our focus to be focused on ourselves, it's kind of like we cut off that life source and sooner or later that rose is going to start to shrivel and dry up and there's not going to be as much life um, in there. We think we're getting something better but it's kind of like we get a counterfeit in exchange. It's like giving up, for me, giving up steak for tofu. I know that not, it's not going to be everybody's experience. Um, it's like giving up $100 of real money and getting 500 bucks in Monopoly money back. It's kind of like um, trading in a person you have fallen in love with uh, for a picture on the wall 
We kind of think that we're getting the better end of the deal, but actually we're just getting a counterfeit if we think that focusing on ourselves uh, is going to bring us fulfillment. Uh, and it's because living for ourselves is not what we're created for. Uh, that's not um, where we find life and fulfillment and peace. We're created to live Godward lives that worship Him, that are focused on Him, that exalt Him in everything. That's where Jesus found freedom and peace because he could take his eyes off himself and he didn't have the, he didn't have the concerns that we do about how he measured up and whether he was going to be look, looked after. He looked to his God and he knew who his God was, that his God would look after him. So as we dig a bit deeper, how was it that Jesus was able uh, to live a life that focused on God? What is, it, what is it kind of beneath that level that allowed him to focus his whole life on God? I want to suggest this morning that it flowed from the beliefs that he had um, about the relationship between God, himself and others. He knew who he was, he knew who his father was and he knew what his role was in mediating between um, humankind, us and God the Father. And I was looking at this passage, I thought there's a lot of times that Jesus refers to either God directly or himself or to us. Um, and I thought, I'm going to count them because the whole passage is so focused in on that, that relationship, either God, Jesus or uh, us. In God, He refers to the Father, you or yours, 12 times. He refers to himself, I or me, 11 times. And he refers to us those, them, or they, 12 times. That's 40% of the words in that passage, 38% of the words in that passage, which I've highlighted there, as you can see. Uh, that is some serious focus. Just that little passage there, this is the prayer at the end of his life. It shows us what's most important to him. It summarises what his life has been about. It shows us what focus he has on his father and his role in mediating between God the Father uh, and us, the people that God loves uh, so much. His, his ability to focus his life on God flowed out from his beliefs about who God was, who we are, and his role in mediating between us and God. And the pivotal belief in this is that he knew that God was the source of all things. He knew that anything good that he did was, was coming from the Father through him, and he was mediating between God and man. Uh, he knew that all of his life, his ministry, his healing, his conversations with people, his purpose, his very breath – came from God the Father. And as well as that, as well as knowing that God was the source of all things, I think it's important to note that he believed in the dependable goodness of God. God could be the source of all things but be a tyrant. And he believed that God was the source of all things and was dependably good in that. What we believe about who God is is so important uh, for our capacity to focus our lives on God. It, our capacity to focus our lives on God flows directly out of what we believe about Him. I was reflecting on this, and I and I remembered that uh, a while back when I had when I felt that God was calling me into ministry, I'd had this little stumble in my faith where I thought, you know what, I'm not sure that I really want to um, to follow where God is leading and to focus my life in on on Him and what I feel like He is asking of me. I'm not sure that I'm that I want to do that, and it caused this whole crisis of faith in my life. And what it came down to when I d dug beneath the surface and processed it through was that at the heart of it. In my heart of hearts, I didn't believe that God was dependably good. And so why would you want to follow a God? Why would you want to focus your life on a God that you don't believe is dependably good? Why would you want to go out of your comfort zone? Why would you want to sacrifice? Why would you want to do uh, something that's beyond what you would 
want to do for yourself that you can feel like you can control for your own life if you don't believe that he is dependably good when I got to the point where I, where I saw in Jesus in the Gospels and saw what I believed about God through creation, that yes, I believe that God is dependably good, then my life just naturally focused in. It just flowed from my beliefs. Once my belief was right that God was good, then I thought, yeah, great, of course. Whoop, in came my life, focused in once I got my beliefs about God in the right place. We see another story in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 14 of this guy called Peter who's one of Jesus' disciples and he's in a boat uh, and there's a storm that comes up uh, on the boat and through the waves and the wind he sees Jesus walking on the water towards him which he thinks he's like some ghost or guy from underneath the sea, a demon or something anyway, then realises that it's Jesus. And because of what he believed about Jesus, because of what he had seen Jesus do, feeding the 5,000 has like just happened in the previous chapter um, or earlier in that chapter, I can't remember. Um, he's able to step out towards Jesus, to live out his life towards Jesus because of what he believed about Jesus, because of what he had seen him do. When we come to recognise that God is dependably good and that he is the source of everything, the fitting and natural response of our lives that will flow from that belief are lives of worship to him, lives that exalt him in everything, lives that give him glory. Lives that come into alignment with the heart and purposes of God, glorifying him and giving him thanks and praise. Now, if Jesus was always and only pointing people to the Father quite effortlessly, if that was the, his kind of, um, his MO was to point people uh, to God and that flowed out of the beliefs that he had that God was dependably good and that he was the source of all things anyway, um, what was it that kept his beliefs steady? So it's kind of another layer down. What was it that, that shaped the beliefs of Jesus about God? What was it that kept those beliefs steady and in place? We see in the life of Jesus that it was looking to his father that did that. It was having his gaze on his father. It was his perspective. It was the vision that he held before his eyes. He looked to the Father all the time to see what his Father was doing. He prayed. He followed his Father's direction. He participated in his Father's work. His whole life moved in the direction that God was leading um, and took others with him as people followed his gaze towards God um, because that's where his gaze was set. His gaze was was set on the Father. He could even endure the cross for us because his gaze was set on his Father. His habit of exalting the Father in everything, in other words, is anchored in the fact that he kept his eyes on his Father. Everything flowed from that. There's this um, British worship leader and songwriter called Graham Kendrick who said this, Worship, lives that are focused on God and exalt him in everything, is a response and will grow or shrink in direct proportion to our view of God. I need to ask you this morning, how big is your view of God? How big is your view of God? You know, I kind of think of it like we all have a frame through which we look at the world, uh, through which we look at our lives. And, and in that frame, it's kind of, it could be zoomed in on different things. It could be panned right back. It's called perspective. And in, in each of our kind of frames of vision, God is going to be a different size 
Some of us, it's going to be panned right back and we will see the glory and the majesty of God in and through and behind everything. For others of us, our frame of vision will be zoomed right in on ourselves. It'll be zoomed right in on our work. It'll be zoomed right in on various circumstances in our lives. What's in your vision frame? And more to the point, how big is God in your vision frame, in your frame of vision? How big is God? For some of us, I think the place that we get stuck in living lives that exalt the Father, that exalt Jesus, sorry, in living lives that exalt Jesus, just as Jesus lived a life that exalted the Father, is that the balance of us and God in our frame of vision is a bit off. We don't see, we don't have a big enough view of God to direct our whole lives towards him. What fills our vision becomes the object of our faith. When Peter started walking on the water towards Jesus, he started to sink. Why? He moved his frame of vision from Jesus to the wind and the waves and the storm. He, and that gave him more faith and more confidence in the wind and the waves to sink him than in Jesus to help him walk on water and save him. What fills your vision frame becomes the object of your faith. Can I ask you this morning, would you dare, just go with me on this for a second, would you dare to pan the camera back in your frame of vision and allow yourself and the circumstances of your life to be dwarfed by the grandeur and majesty of God as you see him in and beyond and through the people and circumstances that you had zoomed in on. Would you dare to do that this morning? Where is your focus? What takes up most space in your frame of vision? Some ways we can know that is what do you talk about all the time? Uh, what's on your credit card bill? What, where do you spend your money on? What do you wake up thinking about? What are, what are the things that fill your frame of vision? Or even what are the things that are bigger than God in your frame of vision? We have this amazing capacity as human beings to demote God in order to promote ourselves in our lives. Uh, We kind of try to kick him out of the picture so that we can fill up the whole frame. But all we end up with is anxious and frenetic lives because we're just concerned about ourselves. We are our only concern. So we end up frenetic and anxious um, and competitive and comparing all the time. And oh my word, how exhausting. Whereas if we were to switch our vision frame to God and simply live lives that bring glory to him, that exalt him, do you see the freedom in that? The peace that's in that? We're no longer performing. We're no longer comparing or competing. Simply giving glory to the one that loves us, that created us. The glory that is due to him. You know, for some of us this morning, you might feel like you don't measure up in the eyes of the world, uh, like you're not good enough, like what the the picture that the the world paints for you of a successful person is. You just don't feel like you're hitting the mark with that, or maybe you feel like the wind and the metaphorical wind and waves and storms in your life are sinking you, and it's just all a bit too much. And all you want to do right now is turn inward on yourself, fill up your whole uh, frame of vision in order to cope. And I think there's seasons uh, where that's what we do naturally as human beings just in order to, to get through certain seasons in life. But can I suggest that the answer to remaining steady through the challenges of life uh, is not to fill up our own frame of vision, but it's to turn our eyes to Jesus. 
when I was in primary school, we used to play this game where you would stand on one foot and I think we used to com- like have a competition to see how long everyone could stand on one foot for. And you put your arm like this to steady yourself. And the teacher would say, now if you're looking at someone that's wobbling, don't look at other people in the class that are wobbling all over the place because then you're going you're gonna to probably wobble yourself. But if you, if you choose something that's steady and fixed, then that will steady you. And it's like that with our God. It's like that with our Jesus the one who made all things, the one that loves us, the one who is unshakable and immovable, the one who is over all things, sovereign over the universe. If you fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of your faith, you will find a peace and a steadiness for your soul through which you can weather any storm and can weather anything that life throws on you. If your eyes are fixed on him. And what I love about our Jesus is that even though we kicked him out of our, our frame of vision, we demoted him in order to, to promote ourselves in our own lives, even though we traded him in uh, for ourselves, he came and lived this perfect life and died a death on our behalf, the punishment that we deserve for going our own way. And in so doing, he performs this exchange that reverses the one that we had performed. He trades in his life and we get ours back. He performs this exchange that is so much more powerful than all the exchanges that we had performed in trading him in, in order that we can live for ourselves. And in so doing, he gets us back and we get him back. Isn't that amazing? Even though we'd traded him in, he traded in his own life so that we can, be, we can have each other back. We can be in relationship with him exalting him in everything that we do and living lives that are focused on him and we might experience his peace in life in that. For some of you this morning, it might be that you need to lift your gaze from the storms and up to the steadiness of Jesus. It might be that you need to shift your gaze from money, from work, from career, from some, something that the world has told you is where you need to focus your gaze. But actually it's just leading you to frenetic living and competition. Or maybe you need to just hold your gaze, eyes on Jesus and keep your eyes on Jesus. As a community, we need to encourage each other in this. We need to help each other to keep our eyes on him to strengthen each other in that. There's a number of things that we can do practically to help each other hold our gaze on God. We can read about Jesus in the Word. We sing worship together to Him, meet with other Christians. You can find someone to ask you how you're doing and keeping your eyes on Jesus. Check in with Jesus daily. Remind yourselves of the truth of who He is. And people will be drawn to God as you develop a habit of worship in your life by holding your gaze on Jesus. What do people associate you with? What do they think of when they look at your life? I would love for us to be a community when people look at us, they say, oh, yep, north side, Jesus. And if we hold our gaze, church, on him, Our whole life, individually and corporately, will start more and more to focus Godward. 
as we exalt him at every opportunity and in every circumstance so that others might join us in gazing on his majesty. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the ways that your spirit is moving and the ways that you are speaking to our hearts, God. God, I want to pray for each person that you are tugging at their heart right now, God, that you're prodding them, that you're saying, look up, look up, look to me, lift your gaze, shift your gaze, hold your gaze. God, would you become bigger in our frames of vision? Would you give us the courage to pan the camera right back that we would see you, God? That we would see you more fully and more gloriously, that we would live lives that worship you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.